Hello, this is Christopher Eck. I am the lead pastor at Bethany Covenant Church in Bedford, New Hampshire. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this message inspires, helps, and encourages you as you seek to live your life with Jesus. For more information about our church or to support the ministry, visit BethanyCovenant.com. Enjoy the message. Good morning and welcome to Bethany Covenant Church. My name is Pastor David. It's exciting to be able to be with you today as we wrap up our series, Jesus, the Childhood Years. I always wonder what is the reason behind the fact that there's so few glimpses of Jesus before he starts his ministry in his 30s. We know very little. This is a very short sermon series here at Bethany, just three weeks, because there's only three stories that really deal with that time period. Last week, we heard about the flight to Egypt that Mary and Joseph had to make to get away from the leaders in that land that were trying to do away with any potential newborn king. And so they have to leave and protect baby Jesus from death. And they achieved that, and it shows the faith that the parents of Jesus had. And then two weeks ago, we got to hear about Anna and Simeon, two people that spent their lives in devotion to the temple spent their lives in devotion to God, waiting for the Messiah that was promised to come. And they saw in Jesus the fulfillment of that promise. But also in the moment, in that waiting, in that time where they were looking for the promises, they became the type of people that God created them to be. So today, what do we have? What what is the purpose behind the inclusion of this text when so many stories, I'm sure, were ignored, so many aspects of Jesus' younger life not included? I think one of the first things I want to make sure is clear is that what we have in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're not biographies. If we were to write a biography about me, we would start at the very beginning. And we wouldn't skip those very pivotal years of 0 to 18. Heck, 0 to 30. I mean, that's right now, that's the bulk of my life. But those were big moments. A lot happened in those years that made me into the person that I am today. You would want to hear about what school I went to, what I was like in high school, how I made a big change in college. You'd want to know about the important relationships and friendships that took up a lot of that time because it really impacted the kind of person I am today. That's what a biography is about. A biography is about telling the whole story of an individual so that you can see why they made the decisions they made, how they became the person that they were. With Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels of these individuals that they told That's not the purpose. The purpose is not to give a full retelling of who Jesus is and was. Instead, the purpose of the Gospels are to give a select account of the moments in Jesus' life, the teachings that were pivotal, the baptism, the resurrection, all of these things that pointed to his purpose, to the good news, the, the good news that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners from death. The Gospels are not a biography. They have a clear focus, and that's on the person of Jesus and how he has saved the world. Now, of course, that includes biographical information, but not everything was important or worthy of being put into these stories, into these tellings of Jesus' life. So when we have a story about him at 12 years old, there has to be a reason that it's there that points towards the salvation that he's offering. There's nothing in the Gospels that aren't there on purpose. And that's the the same with any good story. 
I don't know about you guys, but the past you know, few weeks we've been coming down off of our Christmas high, but we watched a lot of good movies over the Christmas season. And one of my favorites that we start off with, not first, but it's one that we watch early on, is Home Alone. Now, Home Alone, of course, is a great comedy. If you've never seen it, go watch it. It's still good no matter what time of the year it is. But it's a story that is very, very similar to the story that we're going to look at today. So much so that as I was looking at the comparisons, I wondered if they went to the Bible for a little bit of inspiration. Probably not, but as we go through the story today, notice some of the similarities. I won't read the scripture yet, but both of these stories include a young boy of around 10 to 12 years old. Both stories include that boy being left by their parents. Both of the stories have uh, parents that assume that their child is with other family or friends, and that's why they don't look for him or miss him right away. Both stories have these boys thriving by themselves. They don't just end up you know, on the street wandering aimlessly. They get along pretty well. Uh, both are alone for three days. And both are surprised when their parents return. Now, again, this isn't home alone Jesus times, but it is funny the comparisons between these two stories. And I think the reason home alone is such a good Christmas story is that at the end, you have this sense of being found, something that all of us can cherish and appreciate if you've ever been lost. But let's go ahead and get into the scripture and maybe we can get a little bit more out of why the, the Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, included this story. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and this happens to follow right after the story of Anna and Simeon. So it starts in verse 41. It says, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking it was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and at his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Jesus replied. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Friends, this story is remarkable. Imagine being the mother and father of the Savior of the world. Now, you've been told this by angels. The miraculous Christmas story is just 12 years ago. I mean, a long time, but still an event of that magnitude, I would assume, sticks with you. You know how precious 
it is to be in the presence of this miraculously conceived child. And yet, you lose him. Think about that for a moment. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. Not just for a moment, but for days. If I was Jesus, I would have never let them live this down. Now, there's no end to the reasons I'm not Jesus. And I'm assuming that he was very gracious with them. As we see, he goes back home with them and is obedient. But can you imagine how Mary and Joseph must have felt in those three days? If you've ever lost something or someone, you know how anxious that makes you feel. The feeling that you might not ever see them again, that you might not get them back in your life, that you might be the reason that something terrible happens to them. And Mary and Joseph are feeling this way about Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, of course, Jesus is no regular boy, but he is 100% human, 100% divine, but miraculously also 100% human. And what I love about this story, and I think one of the reasons that Luke includes it in his narrative, is that it shows that Jesus was a young person just like us. Now, don't get me wrong, 100% God also. But he was a young person. He was a 12-year-old boy. And what do we see in the story that shows that? Well, for the first point, they don't really go looking for him for a day. Why? Because they thought he would be with friends and family. If you've ever been on a long trip with friends and family, you know cousins are going to hang out with cousins. The nephews are going to hang out with the nephews. The aunts and uncles, they're going to get along. And you're not all the time worried about where everybody is because you're with, with friends. You're with family. The fact that the Mary and Joseph are on their way to Jerusalem and coming back from Jerusalem, it shows that they were probably in a big caravan. This wasn't something that was done just with the nuclear family that we think of. This would have been a big event. All of the relatives would travel together to go to Jerusalem, and there would be a lot of help in sharing the duties of dealing with the kids. So the fact that it says that Mary and Joseph thought that he was just off with their friends and family showed that they treated Jesus just like you would teach, that you would treat any other young boy. You would let him have fun. You would let him hang out with his relatives. Now, this is important to note because, really, we know this is Jesus. This is the one who was prophesied to come into the world and who was going to do great things. But he's also, he's also just a boy that God sent into the world to live a life that is relatable. He's a God that has sent his son into the world to have friends, to have family members. He's not being, you know, lifted on this, you know, this, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? The, he's not in a chariot. He's not being, you know, carted around on a cushion. They don't even look for him until a day has gone by. This story is included, friends, that it, it shows that this is, this is a boy that would know what it's like to live a, a life that we've had lived as well. I love also that it shows that um, he's not what some historians would call the infant terabile. Basically, in, in some literature, you would, in some theology early on, they thought of Jesus as being basically this, this little man-child, that the moment he was born into the world, he had complete knowledge of everything. So he wasn't like your regular baby. It was like a, it's almost like a Benjamin Button situation where he was growing in reverse. Right from the get-go, people thought that perhaps he would be this strange kind of combination of, of, of adolescent but powerful God. 
it's important here maybe to talk about the fact that there are stories out there that show Jesus in this light. There are other books that you can kind of think of them as fan fiction. They're called apocryphal books. There are books that talk about characters of the Bible that were not included in our Bible. They were not accepted universally as being scripture because they were just so out of whack with what God had said in the clear scriptures that we have. One of them is called the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. And in this, you have all of these stories of a very peculiar Jesus. He's not a Jesus that's relatable. He's a magic working boy that has a combination of impulses and temperament of a, of a pre-adolescent. There's weird things in there, and it's not relatable. It's not the Jesus that we're going to see in the Gospels later on. Um, and it's not what we think of when we think of a 12-year-old boy. This story, Luke includes, to show the humanity of Jesus. And that he is a boy much like us, that's relatable, that we can actually have a connection with. The other reason I think that this story is included in the Gospels is because it foreshadows the man that Jesus is going to become. We have a lot in this story that talks about the character and qualities of Jesus. And it all takes part in that one little section where it talks about him in the temple. I'll read it again. It says that when Mary and Joseph found him, that he was sitting in the temple. They found him and they were astonished because they found him among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. If there is one way to sum up the type of ministry that Jesus is going to have, it's, of course, the miracles, but also the fact that he taught by asking questions and listening to people in return. Jesus has many famous sermons, yes, but some of the most pivotal stories that we have in the Gospels are when he asks poignant questions to people coming to him for answers. Jesus is always going to be someone who has an open ear to those that have come near to him. And we see that even here. What do we also see? We see a man who from the get-go, as a child, is about his father's house. It's an interesting translation that we get in the Gospels when it says that Jesus responds to Mary and Joseph saying, why are you looking for me? Wouldn't you know that I'd be about my father's house? But house is just implied. What Jesus is really saying here is, didn't you know I would be doing the things that my father sent me into the world to do? And that's what he did his entire life. Jesus was always about his father's way. You have this great little contrast where Mary and Joseph, his earthly parents, are contrasted with his heavenly parents. So if in the first section we see that he is a human boy, 100% relatable, here in this section, we're reminded that, yeah, he's relatable, but he is also divine. He is also answering to a father in heaven that has sent him to the world for a purpose. And he doesn't wait to get started in it. The other thing that I like that foreshadows the type of man he is, is it says that he amazes people with knowledge. Jesus fulfilled so many prophecies with his life and his birth and his death and his resurrection. But Isaiah 11:2 says this, it says that, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The coming Messiah was not going to be someone who bored people with what he had to say and with what he revealed. 
even as a 12-year-old boy, Jesus is causing amazement in the teachers of the law and in those of the temple. We'll see this happen again and again and again throughout his ministry. But even here we see this was something that was there from the get-go. Jesus amazes people by his character, but also, also with his understanding of the scriptures. I don't know if Jesus at this point was practicing some of the miraculous and and radical ideas he would have later on. But what we do know is that people took note that what he was saying was something different. Jesus didn't come with the same old stories. He brought new life to the promises and the love and the forgiveness that was going to be key in the story that he would reveal throughout his ministry. But not only does he amaze, he also astonishes. I love the way that it piggybacks off those two words in the scripture. Jesus is amazing the teachers of the law, but he astonishes his parents. This word could also be, it could be translated as exasperates. And again, we can appreciate it. Mary and Joseph have been missed, looking after their missing child for three days. And where do they find him but casually and comfortably sitting in the temple without a care in the world. Jesus often does things that surprise his people throughout his ministry. There are times when people will come to Jesus and, and, and be like, what are you doing? Didn't, don't you know we are perishing? That's what his disciples will say years later when he's taking a nap while it seems as though their boat is going down. There are times when Jesus will go off alone to pray in the middle of very intense moments. And his disciples will be like, where are you going? What are you doing? Jesus, from the get-go, is a savior that turns things on their head, that doesn't always act the way you think he should. But it's to reveal that he has a higher calling and to reveal that he has a peace that comes not from this earthly plane, but instead from his father. As Mary and Joseph will see, Jesus has a will of his own only in that it's the will of his father, not always theirs. It says that Mary and Joseph don't really understand, and again, I can appreciate that. Here's a boy that they've known from the manger till now, but I do think they're starting to see glimpses of the man that he's going to be and the savior that he's going to become. Mary's exasperated, as any mother would be, but she's also going to be amazed at what he does in the next part of his life. The last thing that I think we see in this story, and the reason I think Luke includes it, is something that I've already hinted at. Again, if you've seen the story of Home Alone, the most precious moment of the story is when Kevin, the, the main character, is waking up on Christmas morning and he looks around and he's, he's hoping that his Christmas wish, that his family is coming home, might be fulfilled. But as he walks through the house, he sees that they're still empty. The rooms are not filled with his family and friends. But then, all of a sudden, his mother arrives. His mother makes it back home to him. And he turns around and he sees her. And in that moment, he is found. There have been moments in my life 
where I've felt terribly lost, either emotionally or physically. There's been times when I've been out on camping trips where I have no clue how far it is until the next stop to the next shelter to when the hike might be over. And when you finally get to where you're supposed to be, or you meet up with the people you've been looking for, or if you're actually found by somebody who loves you, the relief that comes with that is pretty precious. Now, we know that Jesus wasn't anxious. He wasn't worried. He was doing exactly what he said he was supposed to be doing. But we also know that the scripture says that he is a God who experienced all things, but not with sin. Hebrews 4.15 says this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus was not negligent in this story, but because of the circumstances, he did get to experience the feeling of being found by someone who dearly missed him and loved him. Mary and Joseph are frantically searching for him because he is their son. They can't imagine their life without him. And so when they find him, yes, the first is exasperation, but I know that immediately following that was relief, was thankfulness, was love for the son that they knew was so special. That's a great feeling to experience. And Jesus experienced it. We're going to see Jesus talk so much in the Gospels about being the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. And he knows what it feels like to be the one that's found by someone who loves him. As a church, we often look over these texts and these stories because they've been preached often. Sometimes we forget that these are real people in these scriptures and that we have a real God who knows both what it is like to seek after and to be found. Luke could have probably included any number of stories that he would have heard from Mary, the mother of Jesus, throughout his years, knowing Jesus and being with him. But he chooses to include this one. And I think it's because of this point here. Nowhere else do we have Jesus being found. We always have Jesus being sought after or Jesus seeking after others. But in this text, we have a Jesus that experiences that wonderful feeling of looking up and seeing somebody that loves him and wants him back in their life. We don't have a savior that's unrelatable, one that is other or unnatural. In fact, Jesus is downright relatable, so much so that he's comparable to a favorite Christmas story. He is a God who can truly empathize as well as sympathize. So what does this do for us today? If you're having a hard time going into this new year, knowing what to expect, what it might hold, if you're getting tired, if you look and you think to yourself, I just don't know what's next. Know that you have a God who is seeking after you, 
a God that knows what it's like to be found after being missed. You have a God that has experienced every single one of the worries that you have, and yet he did not lose hope because his hope was founded not in anything this world has to offer, but in the hope and in the love of an eternal and almighty God and Father. These next few weeks and months might prove to be difficult in some ways. They're going to be filled with unlooked-for joys, great surprises, happiness, but also I think we might still have a few bumps along the road. And what we have to hold on to is not just what the world can offer, but a God who is there and has been through it all. He's a God that right from the get-go showed that he's relatable, that he was a young boy once, just like us, a young person who went through both friends and family and knew what it was like to get in trouble, even though he never sinned. And he's a God that was always about his father's work, which left him grounded and focused on the things that matter. But he's also a God who is found by those who love him. And he's a God that's doing that now for those who seek after him. Is there anything that's keeping you from him? Is there anything that's keeping you lost when you don't need to be anymore? If so, let it be the last day. Look up and realize that he's never left you, that you've never been out of his reach, that he didn't have to search long because you've been right there next to him. You just didn't look up to realize it. As we go into our next series on wisdom, know that there is no greater wisdom than this, that God is looking for you and wants you to be with him always. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this story. Thank you that we can see this part of your life where so much is foreshadowed and confirmed that we're able to see you as someone that's relatable, but also divine, who is about your heavenly father's work right from the get-go. And you're also a God who knows what it's like to be found by those who love you. Lord, if there's anything that is keeping us from recognizing that you are this type of God, that you are here waiting for us to look up and see that we are already found by you, Lord, allow that to be removed from our hearts and our minds today. And Lord, allow us to eagerly and excitingly tell stories like this to people who don't know them yet. That you are a God that came down and lived a life. That you had a mother and father that cared for you. And yet you never lost the, f- the full reality that you were sent from a heavenly father who had great plans for you to save the whole world, and to bring all of us into a family that we will never be lost from. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling, who look around and don't know what's next. Allow them to know that you are there, walking alongside, preparing them for great works, that you are going to help them through, and that you will be with them through always. We pray this all in your name. Amen. 
Well, thank you, friends. We hope to see you in person, 9 o'clock or 10.30 here, or continue watching us right here on Facebook or on our website at bethanycovenant.com. But until then, go knowing that God is seeking after you and that you have never, ever, ever gone far enough to be beyond his reach. We'll see you next time. Take care.